Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Crazy how it's the opposite. High fly ball out to left at the wall. Gone! It stayed fair. And Paul DeYoung with a two run homer to tie it up at three. One, two, new bar, and he crushes oh, one. Out to deep right at the wall. Gone! Pinch hit. Two run bomb. Lars Newt Bar. Strike away from a sweep. The one, two. He got him. It's a sweep in Pittsburgh for St. Louis. Called third strike. And the Cardinals hold on seven to six. Well, there you go. That is uh, usually we play some of those highlights. And uh, BK is ready to jump on me about something. Newt. I did it just for you, BK. I figured you wouldn't like that. I loved that, actually. I thought that was fantastic. The only returns that we've used that I was not a big fan of so far was the ones from Pittsburgh. And we didn't have to use any of those, Dan, because the Cardinals (laughs) went into Pittsburgh and swept the Pirates, and that's all you can ask for. So the Cardinals completed the sweep of the Pirates yesterday. Not easy because the uh, bullpen was thrust into action early after Wade LeBlanc left after two innings. He had uh, discomfort in the elbow. So, Mike Show, what happened there with Wade LeBlanc? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, Wade's dealing with some elbow discomfort. It's a little tight in there. And, um, you know, so we tried to stay ahead of it. Clearly, it um, prevented him from being able to continue. You know, he's a little dejected about it, and so are we for him. He's going to go back to St. Louis, get imaging. We're optimistic, but clearly um, he's going to have to go get imaging, and um, we'll see what it looks like. Hopefully uh, positive news tomorrow with it. So there were two injuries in the game. More on LeBlanc first. Uh, that was his eighth start, 35 and two-thirds and a 3-5-3 ERA. He gave the Cardinals – I mean, it wasn't like you went, wow, there's way – but he gave the Cardinals what you needed at a time when they needed it most, which was strikes and innings. Didn't go really deep in the game, so that's okay. He was giving you five, sometimes into the sixth, but he was giving you a chance to win every time out. So, you know, the way I look at it, BK, is that maybe these are the injuries that happen to where now Jack Flaherty is inserted in there, and then it's Miles Michaelis, and that's how this thing kind of progresses going forward. You know, it's funny. Anytime we have these conversations about, oh, but who's going to stay right. in the rotation? Who's going to start at place X or whatever when everybody comes back healthy? When you say that to a manager, they'll typically tell you, hey, these things have a way of working themselves out. And we don't have to do that until we don't have to figure that out until we actually get to that point in time. Well, it worked itself out. Uh, Wade LeBlanc's probably going to be out of the rotation. My assumption would be if he's going to get imaging, he's probably going to land on the IL. I don't know how much longer after that, but he's probably going to land on the IL. And you're going to have John Lester stay in the rotation for now. You'll insert Jack Flaherty in, and then when Miles Michaelis returns, we'll see where we're at with this rotation. So the Cardinals had to go to their pen. It bent. It didn't break. McFarlane, he had a scoreless inning. He wound up being the winner. That was in the third inning. Uh, Andrew Miller came in, gave up a home run, then struck out the next three. 
I'm loving what I'm seeing out of Luis Garcia. He had an inning, gave up a hit, but again, no walks. It's now nine and a third that he's put together consecutive without a walk or a run. Hennessy's Cabrera looked pretty good, inning in two thirds. Then they went to Gallegos, inning in a third, four hits. I, there's a little concern there with the way that things have gone for uh, Hennessy's, uh, or rather from Giovanni Gallegos and also Alex Reyes. Reyes gave up a home run at the end, two run shot, but they had a three run lead, picked up the save, is 27th. So the back end, the eighth and ninth, is a little, little shaky right now. Yeah, it, I don't know what it is either. They're just not as crisp or something as they were early on in the season. So I, I do, I will say this though, Dan. You mentioned Hennessy Cabrera. He looks fantastic right now. Like it, it's yes, strange he does. because early on this season. There were some moments where it was still kind of the same thing as it had been previously. He didn't have his command all the time. You weren't sure which version of Hennessy Cabrera you were going to get. And now he's the guy that when he comes into the game, I just assume he's going to lock down this inning. They're going to be perfectly fine, whether he comes in clean or with runners on. And he's been getting the job done consistently now for about a month. He's been awesome for them. Something to keep an eye on tonight. It is the return of Jack Flaherty. More on that in a moment. But Dylan Carlson left the game yesterday right wrist soreness in the fourth inning. My understanding, they're going to take a, some images of that maybe today yep. in Kansas City. So he'll go under uh, or undergo uh, an MRI. So we'll see if he's in there uh, this year, 261, uh, 12 home runs. And he was really putting together his best month. So the level of concern now for Mike Schilt with Dylan Carlson. I mean, you know, he's going to get an MRI tomorrow. So there's any time the guy's getting imaging, there's concern. That's concern right there with the wrist. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you're hopeful that Tyler O'Neill feels better. He had a second COVID shot, wasn't feeling great, so sat for two of the three games, Didn't pit, uh, did pinch hit yesterday. But uh, that's of concern for me because Dylan Carlson not only is having a good month, but he's getting on and he's scoring runs. He has scored a run in eight of the last 10 for St. Louis. Yeah, they need him. If he's out for any sort of extended period of time, that is a major blow to what this team's trying to do right now. Hopefully, it's just a little soreness in there. It's nothing structural that's going to be problematic. Um, I, I would guess he's probably going to be held out of tonight's game regardless, just to make sure that everything's good to go there. You don't want to push it with one of your young studs, but fingers crossed that things there are going to be a okay moving forward. Okay. Jack Flaherty returns tonight with Flaherty, the Cardinals 30 and 24 without him. They're 28 and 32 on the morning show around nine o'clock. We had Cardinals pitching coach Mike Maddox as a part of the program and asked him about the return of Flaherty. He's going to go out there and go as long as we let him go really, you know, and then he's going to lobby to stay in and stuff like that. So we're already, <laughs> we already know that's going to happen, but uh, we're going to have to honor some type of pitch count. And um, I hope that uh, everything goes smoothly for him. But we're looking at a healthy, strong young man that's overly motivated and has missed the competition for quite some time. I would assume they're going to be fairly careful with him. First start back, didn't want him to pitch yesterday because they didn't want him to re-injure the oblique. I watched uh, some of the rehab assignments that he had, and, and BK, he was hitting 95-96, real good sharp slider. But this is the big leagues where it's amped up even more. And as I said to Randy, you watch minor league baseball, guys chase balls, or guys chase just outside the zone. You're going to get swings. That doesn't happen a lot in Major League Baseball. You see it, obviously, but they just don't chase as much. It's a, one of the big differences between being a double-A, triple-A, then a major leaguer. So I would think his last time out was 85 pitches. I would put it at 90-95 tonight, and it all also is dictated by the eye test. 
Is he laboring? Is it a struggle? And if it's not, then he goes 95, and that gets you five or six innings. It'll be interesting because the bullpen had to cover seven innings yesterday. Yeah. How much can they get tonight and who's available and what direction they go? Once again, and huge thanks to Adam Wainwright for putting themselves even in a spot no where they kidding. feel a, uh, they feel okay about being able to do that no tonight kidding. if needed, um, thanks to his complete game. We have a little bit of previous examples of what this could look like, Dan. You look back to what it was last year when he came out of the COVID uh, shutdown for the Cardinals. He, at the beginning portion of that, kind of did the ramp up that he did this year in the minors, where he went 40 pitches and then 65 and then 85. And down the stretch that year, he was right around 90 to 95. So that's where I'm, I'm with you. I think that's pretty much what you can expect out of Flaherty. I'm just hopeful he can get through five to six. If you can get through five to that's six strong innings to. out of Jack Flaherty tonight and you feel good about him moving forward, that's that's really where I'm hoping he ends up. His next start then would be against Milwaukee mm-hmm. uh, next week. So the pitching matchups beginning tonight, and you can see the game on Valley Sports pregame at 6-30, First pitch from Kauffman Stadium. Jack Flaherty against Mike Miner, a lefty. Miner is 8-10, 5-3-9 ERA. Tomorrow, 6-10, first pitch. All the games on Valley Sports. Uh, the lefty, John Lester, against Brad Keller. And then Sunday, Jay Happ, pair of lefties against Chris Bubich. Uh, I've been saying it from, you know, all this morning, and we've been talking about it. You're at a point now where you got to take two or three, if not sweep. Uh, that's just the way you have to go into these series and think, i got to take two or three. Then the off day on Monday and see what we can do against Milwaukee. Um, Tuesday night, David Freeze, the giveaway. Good seats still remaining, by the way. And then uh, the weekend, I think it's going to be a fun homestand. The, the homestand a week from now will have the one day dedicated to Bob Gibson, one day dedicated to Lou Brock. Sandwiched between them is the Cardinals Hall of Fame ceremony. So some pretty good uh, dates coming up at the ballpark. As it pertains to this series, get off on the right foot with Jack Flaherty going tonight, period. Yeah, I think you need to win nine of the next 12 that you have against the Royals, Pirates, and Tigers. And then I think you need to sweep Milwaukee. And I know that sounds very difficult to do. Only reason I say you got to sweep Milwaukee is because those are the games where you're actually able to make up ground head-to-head against them. And if you take two out of three, you gain one game in the standings against them. That's just not enough right now. And I know you've got 10 games down the stretch. Cardinals have some work to do. The Brewers are playing very good baseball. It's going to be an uphill climb to be able to get back into this thing. But this is where they put themselves. They had a tough June, and now you've got to dig out of that hole. It's going to take a lot, but they're playing the right teams to be able to make up some ground right now. The Brewers, by the way, 17-4 to over Chicago. They swept the Cubs. They have won nine straight head-to-head. It was a four-game sweep. How badly are the Cubs playing right now? Oof. They were outscored 37-9, to by the way, in that series. And the Brewers' season high now, 24 above 500. they They're 70-46. They have the best record in the National League since the All-Star break. So they've been awfully, awfully good. Uh, Coming up, we're going to visit with Tim Conroy. We thought this would be a good time to get him on because Tim uh, has been affiliated with both organizations. Pitched here in St. Louis. You may remember him, a left-hander. And then after his playing career was done, did a lot of work in front offices. He was with Atlanta, but primarily with Kansas City. I would see him all the time on the road scouting. So we'll visit with Tim Conroy, and that is coming up. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise.
Tim Conroy has had a life in baseball, whether it was on the mound pitching for the Cardinals or whether it be in front offices or scouting. You know, BK, one of the worst things about not being able to be on the road and uh, and go with the team and, and be at the ballparks is not seeing guys like Tim Conroy that uh, always gave me great info in spring training, getting ready for games and longtime scout as well. And obviously a hand with the Kansas City Royals working in uh, as a special assistant to uh, their GM. Hey, Tim, thanks for hopping on. We appreciate it. And uh, good morning to you. How are things going? Things are going great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's great to hear from you guys. It's one of the things that's happened since this COVID thing. You don't have to see each other anymore. Absolutely. Uh, what keeps you busy now? Are you able to get out on the road a little bit? Look at the minor league teams. Scout. What what keeps you busy? Yeah, we're back. We're back pretty much to to, to normal. Uh, uh, a lot of a lot more uh, regional type of stuff. I've done a lot of stuff through Washington and Philadelphia and. Uh, Pittsburgh here. Uh, I just got done seeing you guys here uh, with the series in Pittsburgh. I go to Cleveland, uh, and I've done some flying. I've been down to Miami and then Tampa, so uh, just not as much travel. What are your thoughts on this Cardinals team, if you've seen them recently? Yeah, I just got done seeing them. Uh, you know, the bats came alive yesterday, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Wainwright was unbelievable. It took me back to the old days uh, the other day with Wainwright, and uh, uh, I just, you know, it, it's tough. You know, what, there's so many injuries this year throughout baseball. It, it's tough, and we've got 14 pitchers to a staff, and we've got a taxi squad of players. It's just hard to really get a good feel and really play well for a long time. And I think the teams, obviously, with the best pitching, the Giants, the White Sox, teams like that, are are the ones that and the healthiest and the ones that are, that are, uh, are are playing the best ball. You know, I think St. Louis has been bit by the by the energy bug for a while. You know, I, I know you guys got Flaherty going tonight, which is a good sign. Um, so that that should help, but uh, it, it's been tough. I I, I like you know, I see you guys in spring training all the time. I've always liked the club. I like the way they play. Um, you know, they put the ball and play a lot. Uh, it's just been tough with injuries for them. Tim, I'm curious because you were, if I'm not mistaken, here in St. Louis with the Cardinals when Adam Wainwright was drafted initially. But then you did end up down in Atlanta while he was in their minor league system. What was your relationship like with Wayno, or how, how much do you remember about him as a kid when you were with the Braves organization and certainly when you were scouting here in St. Louis? You know, it's, it's a, a funny story about that is that was my last year in St. Louis, and we loved Wainwright. Um, and uh, that year, the 2000 draft, I believe it was, it came out late, <clears throat> and we're not sure if it was true or not, obviously, but it came out late that there was some type of an arm injury. And back then... You know, those rumors started all the time, and they still go on today. Uh, and we passed on him, and uh, the Braves took him. And so the next year, I'm in it. I'm in Atlanta as their national cross-checker, and uh, they got him, and, and I'm not sure there was any arm injury <laughs> to, uh, to get some teams off of him. And uh, obviously, uh, the draft in, in Atlanta, he, he was an outstanding draft. I don't know what happened in development. With him, you know, sometimes it takes some right-handers, especially tall, thin right-handers, high school-type kids. It takes them a while to get mo- to get going, uh, to find their stride in, in the minor leagues. And I'm not sure that we knew what we had, uh, our development guys, when we traded Adam to uh, to St. Louis. It was in the J.D. Drew trade, right? J.D. Mm-hmm. Drew trade, right? Yeah, that's yep. right. Eli Marrero, J.D. Drew, right. Marquis, right. all those and, guys. You know, uh, there are some stories there that of why this and that. But, you know, uh, one thing we used to do in Atlanta, we would not let those guys throw sliders, high school kids. We, we had them throw the four-seam fastball and the, and the overhand curveball, which is his 
one of his best pitches now, but Adam's best pitch back in those days was a slider, if you guys remember. And we took that pitch away from him, and that's the first thing I think St. Louis did was give that back to him when he got over there. What were you thinking as you were watching him the other night? Because it, it was old school. I, I'm just so curious. You know, you have a history here with Adam Wainwright. Saw him and all these things, and now he's – the other day he was 18 days away from his 40th birthday, and he goes a complete game and 88 pitches. When you're watching that, what goes through your mind? Uh, you know, I, I was smiling because it, it's so refreshing to see. Like, like you said, I, you know, I've been in this game such a long time, and all of us have, and when you see a performance like that from a guy that is 39 years old, going to be 40 years old, you, you know, you're rooting for him all the time, and, and you're seeing these kids, and you're going, you, you, he's basically teaching them a lesson about how, you know, how to go about it at bat, and his breaking ball was so good, so good the other day, and he could throw for strikes anytime he wanted to, and so many hitters today are geared toward the fastball, that the, the secondary stuff, the breaking stuff, they swing and miss at it, and they don't make any adjustments. And I was just just enjoying that that game so much because it was like a, it was like going back in time. It really was. And, and Tim, I'm I'm curious. I mean, because you pitched, and I'm sure you watched certain guys when you were playing, and you said, "Man, I I need to do that," or "How's he get that grip?" or "What's he doing to to be efficient?" And I gotta wonder. Um, and I say it all the time: if I'm a young pitcher. How do I not watch what he's doing and say, how is he doing it and how do I do it? And and I wonder if that does have an effect and rub off on these kids to where we're always talking about velocity and max effort. Well, Adam Wainwright after the game said, you know what, I, I, I really I maxed out maybe three times. I was more worried about movement and location. And I, I just I hope that it rubs off on people and they watch that and say, that's how it's supposed to be done. Definitely. And I, I remember a quote from uh, uh, this spring with uh, Ponce de Leon going, I think Adam threw a great spring spring game three innings pitch or something and the minimum amount of batters. And Ponce, Ponce de Leon came on and goes, you know, I just want to be like that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be able to do it like that. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's obviously a talent to do that. I'm, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. It's not. And and the one thing Adam has always had is, is, is unbelievable control with whatever he's throwing. And that's the number one thing. Whatever you're throwing, you want to be able to throw it across the plate. And, uh, you know, I think Dave Duncan was a big, big help when he came over to St. Louis because that was his his kind of thing. You know, he would take pitchers that have struggled in the past in the major leagues and he would throttle them down with their fastball, you know, and, and work it, you know, work with this with this velocity. And if you need it, go get it. But, you know, have better command with what you're throwing with less velocity. We're talking with Tim Conroy here on 101 ESPN. He had a seven-year big league career as a pitcher, and now he works in the Royals front office as a special assistant to the general manager. Tim, the other guy that was here when you were in St. Louis that remains behind the plate today is Yadier Molina. He was also a part of that 2000 Major League draft. What do you remember uh, about Yadier Molina as a kid? And as you're watching him again the other night, what do you see from him now today? And are you surprised by how well he's developed? There, there's only one surprise with Yadi, and and I, you know, I was over in I went to say I was doing the uh, the East Coast. I was the East Coast cross checker back then, and I flew over to Puerto Rico to see the workout with him. And uh, we had hired a new guy over there. We had gotten uh, we had had a, a previous scout on the on the island that uh, somebody hired. I think Montreal hired him away from us. So we had hired a new guy that nobody really knew. So I was getting to know him, but, you know, and he kind of took us around and I got to see Yachty over there and, you know, just fell in love with him because n- number one, he, you know, he had the two brothers already playing. He, he knew the game so well. You could just see that he was actually the coach, the leader on that field that day at, at 17 or 18, whatever, however old he was. 
the, the biggest surprise with Yachty, and I tell this to a lot of people, is I never thought that he was going to be the offensive force that he, what, that he is and has been throughout his career. Uh, I always thought that he was going to catch every day in the major leagues soon, but I just never thought that the bat was going to become as, uh, as, uh, as potent as, as, as it has been. It's amazing, and you now watch Salvador Perez all the time, um, which I think he's a, a fabulous player, obviously, with what he's done. How would you compare the two? Yachty is, for all of us here in St. Louis, I say all of us, but for me, for sure, I, I mean, I've done all his games. He's a Hall of Famer. I watch Perez, and I try to catch you guys as much as I can. He is just a, a heck of a player. How would you compare those two? Well, I'll tell you what, the number one trait that they both have is they both enjoy being on the field every yes. day. They don't want to come out. They want to catch every inning of every day. And I think uh, Yachty has been blessed with, with uh, probably a, a better uh, health uh, uh, resume so far. Selby's, Selby's a big boy, and uh, you know he's got some issues there. But I tell you what, they both enjoy very much being on the field. They're both leaders on the field. It's their club. When the, when the game is going on, they're in control and command. Uh, the one difference, you know, obviously the power that Salvi has, I think, is different than Yachty, but their arms, the quickness of their of their release, the plus arm strength, they're both they're both to me Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers. Tim, I read this quote from Salvador Perez the other night, and I want to pass this along to our audience for any of them that may not have seen it, but also to you to get your thoughts on this mindset that he has and what this means. He said, quote, I like to make people happy because you never know how much they sacrifice to buy the tickets to see you play. That's why I always say we need to play hard every single inning because you don't know how hard people worked or whatever they had to do to buy a ticket to come see you. We need to respect the fans. That's why we need to come to the ballpark. And if you don't feel good to play, then don't play. But I don't want to show something to the fans that they don't like. I want to play hard for the fans every night. End quote. When you hear that from a player like Salvador Perez, who, as you said, has not been blessed with the best injury, health, uh, luck over the years, what does that mean to you as somebody who's been around this game for so long? Well, it's very rare, first of all. I'll admit that, uh, being a former player, the the ability to to come out every day, smile, uh, uh, talk to fans, sign, do that. It's it's an everyday thing. As we we all know, that that gets kind of monotonous. But I tell you what. It's a true. It's a true statement that he says that, and not only on the field with Selby. You know, when you're when you're traveling with the club, and he's he's in the hotel, or he's in he's in the restaurant, or something, and you see him, he's as personable as he's like you're you're his best friend. You've had him for life, and that's just who he is. It's great. I love that quote too. This is my final question for you, Tim. You you pitched a little bit here in St. Louis. What are your thoughts on uh, the baseball city that is St. Louis? You know, it, it's 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 the love affair with St. Louis. Uh, the number one thing when you come there uh, uh, from another organization, the first thing you notice is the professionalism. You know, and I, you know, the first first people you meet, I'm Buddy Bates and, and Gino Gieselman and the people that run the clubhouse and the trainers, and you know, they, they're just so professional and they're so respectful and, and it's so nice. And then and then you walk out onto the field and you start to meet the fans and see the. And and the the knowledge I, I went away that knowing the knowledge of the fan, the fans of uh, St. Louis it was unbelievable and they showed up every night and the one thing I always look at on the '87 ring that uh, we unfortunately lost to the Twins you know that's the first year that uh, anybody outside of New York or LA drew three million fans right uh, it, it was a tremendous feat but it was something that uh, was just so accustomed in, in St. Louis I love the city. Uh, I love the fans. The stadium is, 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 you know, it's not Bush Stadium, but it's right there. It's very similar to me. 
love going there. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to be there for a couple of years, but I look forward to traveling back and, and seeing there. And, you know, the, the great thing about St. Louis, too, a lot of the players still live there. So, you know, you go there, you get to see a lot of people. I get to see Ricky all the time. And, you know, I, I think I saw Kenny Daly there a couple of years ago. It's, it's good. And I even saw Whitey uh, a few years ago there. So, it's good to come back to home and see them. Well, Ricky's going to be at uh, Kauffman Stadium doing radio tonight, so you better give him some trouble. <laughs> I will try that. Yeah, I'm I'll sure you will. Tim, right. before we let you out of here, I got to ask you about Bobby Witt Jr., one of the young phenoms in the sport. He's tearing it up now in AAA. He's 21 years old, and he's batting 290 with an OPS over 950. What can fans expect whenever Bobby Witt Jr. gets to the big leagues, if they're just a baseball fan that can't wait to see this guy? You know, my short time of seeing Bobby and and uh, the numbers don't surprise me. And anybody that kind of has been around him, that's the kind of that's that's kind of what you come to expect. But there's an there's an easiness to which to with which he plays the game that you see, and when you see that kind of stuff, you go, man, this this guy was born to do this. I think there's an enjoyment there the way he plays the game. But what struck me is how easy the game comes to him. Uh, now I'm not saying he's going to be come up and be an impact as soon as he can, as soon as he is here. But you just you just know that this kid's got it written on him. He's going to have a long career in the major league level. Hard part is trying to make sure that when you bring him up, he's ready. And that's that's tough. You know, the biggest step by far, and I think you guys know this. You know, you go to A ball to Double A AA, to Triple A, and those steps are big for for players. But that step from the from the from Triple A to the major leagues is a whole big thing. And, and sometimes it, it, it takes it takes a while and can do different things to people. But I think Bobby's got the family history. I think once he gets here, I think you're going to see the true player that he is, and hopefully we'll get a chance to see him for a long time. Hey, Tim, uh, thank you so much for hopping on. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully I'll see you down in Jupiter uh, next spring training as we get back to more normalcy around uh, our country and certainly with the game of baseball. But thanks for doing this. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Hope to see you guys soon. Sounds great. That's uh, Tim Conroy, and he's working with uh, the Kansas City Royals special assistant to uh, their GM and has been around the game for a long, long time. That was fun. And uh, I love the quote that you read about Salvador. Yeah. Uh, I saw a thing put out, I think it was by the Hall of Fame, within the last month, and Robin Yount essentially they're asking, I don't know if it's like, what, do you have any regrets or what What would you be your message to players now? And he said, if I could go back and do it again, he said, I would have, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, taking care of the fans even more. He said, you know, it, almost verbatim like what Perez is saying, people pay hard-earned money to go watch these games. You owe it to them to put out, period. I mean, that's it. People come up, they show up, they support the game, they, sh- they support you, support the team, you have to give 100%. And I just, when I heard that and I see that, I hope it resonates with the players of today. And Salvi is an interesting case because he's from Venezuela. He does not come from a background of money by any stretch of the imagination. He took a deal very early on in his career that was severely below market value. I mean, he, he ended up later on, the Royals felt so bad about how underpaid he was that with like two or three years left on his deal, they said, you know what? we can't do this. Like we're, we're giving you a raise. This is the the new deal that you're going to sign to rip the old one up. It, it was a pretty remarkable thing for Dayton Moore to do, but um, he is a hell of a story, a tremendous baseball player. He is not defensively what Yadier Molina is. He never will be, never has been. However, it's pretty as darn a, good as a bat. 
Dan, his power is yes. special. And I hope that people were able to actually see him in the home run derby because he went after the historically great first round that we saw. He ended up having the best home run derby round we've ever seen from a catcher. He's a remarkable talent. So enjoy watching this series with two of two of the best catchers in the league going behind the plate. Looking forward to to seeing that. And unfortunately, last weekend he it was non-COVID, but he was feeling under the weather, so he stayed back on uh, the game on Friday, and then I think, um, I guess it was Yachty didn't play in one of the games too, so it's always fun to see when those guys go to bat and they're mm-hmm. sitting there talking to each other. So, yeah, looking forward to that aspect of the series tonight. Coming up, we're going to talk about uh, the Field of Dreams. If you missed it, pretty cool. Last night with Major League Baseball. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Always like doing this, kind of going around uh, Major League Baseball, and we'll start with what was the game of the night, and it began, it was in Iowa, it was the Yankees, it was the White Sox, the Field of Dreams game, and Kevin Costner was on hand to kick it off. 30 years ago, on the other side of that corn, we filmed a movie that stood the test of time. Tonight, thanks to that enduring impact that that little movie had, it's allowed us to come here again. But now we're on a field that Major League Baseball made. We've come to see the first place White Sox play the mighty Yankees in a field that was once corn. We've kept our promise. Major League Baseball has kept its promise. The dream's still alive. There's probably just one question to answer. Is this heaven? It was awesome last night. For those that uh, did not see it, and if you haven't seen the movie, make sure you do that. And, uh, you know, it it just gives you the feelings, of, at least for me, in watching that of a couple things. One, makes me think of my late father, who's been gone for well over two decades, played catch with him countless times. Think about playing catch with my mom back in the day, who's still with us. But um, the connection that baseball or sports in general gives you as a family. Sometimes it's what you talk about having dinner on a, you know, going to a ball game together, uh, driving in the car. But it's the connection that brings you together. And that's the thing that I took away from last night. The other part that I took away from last night is the job that Major League Baseball did to present and showcase their sport. They did a remarkable job. The drones, the footage, uh, how they presented it. And the game was awesome in itself. But it was on free TV, too. So you're on primetime on Fox with the A crew there doing their thing, that's what was good for baseball from a you know position of just thinking not about the movie, not about the nostalgia, but this was good for the game. And they promoted the hell out of it, Dan. Yes. Uh, whether it be on MLB Network, MLB Network Radio, pushing this thing as hard as they possibly could, getting Kevin Costner available for interviews everywhere. Um, when you've got a celebrity like that that is attached to the game, it doesn't matter for promoting the sport. It it was amazing. It was the perfect storm of everything you could have asked for for baseball. I will say this, Dan, and I've seen a few people say, hey, they should do multiple of these games every day. 
They should do something similar to this every single year. They should continue pushing to play games in places where you wouldn't otherwise do it because you can. If you're Major League Baseball, you can build. We've now seen you can build a uh, what is requisite for these major leaguers to play on that surface and to have a great game that is televised in a way that is special. Don't overdo it with this specific setting, though. Don't go back there seven times in 2022. That's not the lesson to be learned from this. But it was an awesome night. They deserve all the credit in the world because we give baseball a whole hell of a lot of crap whenever they don't do things right. We got to give them their just due whenever they do something the correct way. And they did this right last night. Well, Fox put millions of dollars into that game. Absolutely. you know, local telecasts are trying to pull off 162. So, yeah, you can't do that for every game. <laughs> so I, I agree with you. But to do it, you know, once a year, make it a marquee game that's carried nationally. Absolutely. And then the game itself was awfully good with a great ending. White Sox win it, and the hero in that game was Tim Anderson. You know, just coming here playing the middle of the corner, man, who, who would have thought that? And, uh, you know, who would have thought that I'd be able to walk it off here, too, as well? You know, we made history tonight. How about this for a little uh, symmetry, the movie ending and how that game ended? Tim Anderson hit the 15th walk-off homer by a White, a White Sox player against the Yankees all-time. The first, by the way, was Shoeless Joe Jackson. How cool is that? It was unbelievable. Uh, July 20th of 1919 was when that took place. It's it's incredible, man. It, it was it was perfect. It was the perfect setting between the other thing, Dan, is it, it was the right teams to be involved in this game. You had superstars on both sides of this thing. I mean, it, it was a back and forth game from start to finish. I'm sure I don't know what the ratings are. I frankly, don't really care, but I know they're going to be very good, good for that game. Yeah, um, that. That was the perfect storm for a game. And I think you do it at the right time. Uh, You have, at this point, NFL training camps going on, colleges reporting for camp. So you're not going head-to-head with football. You're not going head-to-head with playoff hockey in spring. It's warm in Iowa. So it was the right time to do it. And what you hope for if you're Major League Baseball is not only to have a great game, which they did, not only to... Uh, have the nostalgia and the emotions of the movie tie into what you're doing today. You're also hoping is that, hey, can we bring in the casual fan that maybe likes baseball, doesn't love it, doesn't watch it every night, but they're going to pay attention to that game. And they say, you know what, man, I love that so much. I'm going to watch or buy a ticket tomorrow. And that's what you're hoping for. Yeah, you hope to capture their imagination the way that they did with a young Danny Mac when you were <laughs> uh, running around playing catch with your family, right? That That's what you're hoping to do with something like this. You're bringing in a little bit of a different audience. And that's why you can't keep running it back. You, you can do it. Not consistently, though, with the Field of Dreams. you got to keep pushing the envelope. What's going to be next? Where are you going to play your next game? Start thinking of that for 2022 and beyond. And I think that's something that baseball can and will do. Uh, the commissioner has spoken about how they're going to continue doing stuff like this in the future. They should, and I think it's going to be successful for them. Well, my understanding is David Ross uh, let the cat out of the bag the other day, at least with the Cubs. Yep, uh, He was doing a you know, pregame session with the media and said they're going to be playing in it next year. I don't know if that's official, and that would make me think then 
the likely candidate to hook up with them would be the Cardinals, who lost out on last year's game at the Field of Dreams, lost out on going to Europe. Remember, that was yep. canceled as well. So it would make some sense. We'll see if that uh, is the direction. Mike Schultz has said publicly as well that he would like to be a part of that game. Oh, for sure. I think anybody would. Um, because the Cardinals also took pl- uh, part in the Little League game. And mm-hmm. look, I-, I know that it can be... A lot of work for those involved because you got to pack up. You, you were in Pittsburgh. Now you got to pack up, go to a Sunday night game, unpack everything. That's hours of time. You got to travel there. You got to do all that stuff. But when you saw those players interact with the little leaguers, that's as good as it gets. And then it's a unique game of where you're trying to bring in young players who are so attracted to, let's say, faster moving sports, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, whatever. I get it. But you were engaging with those fans. You're, I mean, Tommy Pham bought snow cones for all the kids. They were sitting in the seats. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. And if those are the things you got to do to be a little, quote unquote, grassroots effort to get people involved or enjoy the game or welcome them to the sport, you do it. It's one time a year. The other thing, Dan, I think the players last night deserve a ton of credit. They were bought in from the moment that they arrived yes. at, at the gate. I mean, that is... That is not always the case. These are millionaires who, as you said, Dan, are taken out of their normal schedule. They're going to this random spot in the middle of Iowa where I'm sure a lot of them have no interest in going on a typical day. But they knew how important this was. They bought in. They did everything that they were asked to do pregame. They were willing to do and to buy into the pregame ceremonies that they were going to put on. It was awesome, and it's from top to bottom, from the Fox broadcast to the players that were a part of it. Um, everybody was all in on what we watched last night, and it was it was fantastic as a viewing experience for all of us. Yeah, if you complain about that, shame on you. I don't care oh, what yeah. game it is. Going to Europe, the Little League, uh, Field of Dreams, whatever. It's worth doing it, and it's smart to do. Uh, we mentioned earlier... In our first segment, the Cubs, man, they're struggling, and the Brewers are red hot. Center field. Oh, that ball is hit way back. Matty Pena sends one out. A grand slam. The Pineapple with a knockout punch in the fifth inning. They would win it 17-4. to So I mentioned the Brewers since the All-Star game. They have the best record in the National League. They won 17-4 to over Chicago. That's nine straight over the Cubs. Four-game sweep. And in that sweep, they outscored them 37-9. to And they are a season-high 24 above 500 at 70-46. and We'll see the Brewers after an off day Tuesday night. And that'll be the David Freeze night. Now, where are the Cardinals in the wild card? This didn't help. Winker. Rips it to right field and gone! A grand slam from Jesse Winker! Reds four, Braves one. Well, I say it didn't help. Depends on uh, which direction you're looking at because right now the Dodgers and Padres, if it ended today, they are your wild card. The Reds 62 and 54, three and a half out. Mets five and a half, Braves six. Then the Cardinals, two games above 500 since early June, are six and a half out. Now, I do know that this definitely did not help. Here's the 2-0 pitch. Swing and a high fly ball to left field. It's deep. Stevenson back at the track. At the wall, he jumps, and it's gone for a home run. Put it in the books. Pete Alonso goes deep. He tucks it just over the 358 mark into the M&M sweet seats. A game-winning home run for Pete Alonso. 
So they're a game in front of St. Louis, and the Mets are 59-55 and 55 with a sweep over the Nationals. How about Bryce Harper and the Phillies? That one's hit sharply out toward left center field. Does it have the height? It does! It's gone! A home run for Bryce Harper. His 21st of the year. The Phillies are on the board. And they beat the Dodgers 2-1. Finally, how about the Diamondbacks? They actually won a game. Peralta hmm. gets it in the air, deep to right field. So there you go. Peralta, the home run. They beat the Padres 12-3. So the Padres are now 66-51. Cardinals gained a game in the wild card. They are six and a half back. That just about does it for this hour. But again, Before we get out of here, Dan, I wanted to ask you about the Mets because their next 13 games are against the Dodgers and the Giants. Do you think they're going to be able to get out of that? Above 500, like seven and six. Now without DeGrom. Now they're hoping that Noah Syndergaard does come back. He's missed the entire season, but when he does, he's in their bullpen. Mm -hmm. Minus DeGrom that you would figure he makes at least two starts in that stretch of baseball. That's a huge loss, man. So I, the team I like coming out of the East, the Atlanta Braves, after what I saw in St. Louis, the, the changes that they made, which not only help you in terms of your everyday lineup, but it just gives you a jolt when you see those kind of moves made. They've completely remade their outfield. I don't know if they can pitch. Now they're going to get a little bit healthier here down the stretch. They got a Noah coming back and another guy, but I I just like their, their, and their schedule, by the way, when the uh, Mets are playing those games is light. That has a chance then for the Braves to really get some separation potentially. It's interesting because before the season, we all said, man, that that NL East is going to be like a four team race potentially. And obviously the Nationals have fallen out of that, but we were kind of right. <laughs> it is the three team race right now between yes. the Phillies, the Mets and the Braves are all kind of around the same. And I know we talked about it with the Cardinals as well. All those teams, I feel pretty much the same as I do about the Cardinals. And they're all right there, basically with the same record right now. So it's, it's going to be the race to the finish. And I, I'm with you. I would probably favor the Braves out of that mix. Um, but I, I can't wait to see what happens between the Braves and the Phillies. I think those are going to be the two that end up battling it out for the East. So the Cardinals got a sweep over the Pirates, 7-6 to six yesterday. DeYoung, Newt Barr, pair of two-run homers. Newt Barr's first in the big leagues. And it was coming off the bench, two-run pinch hit. Homer, McFarland 2-0, and picked up the win. Reyes saved number 27. So it sets the scene, I-70 series. As I said with Randy, we probably have a lot of people on I-70 right now listening to us headed to Kansas City to enjoy the weekend. If you're going, go to Joe's KC and Q39 and check out Gates as well for your barbecue. Jake, uh, Jake, Jack Flaherty, 8-1, Mike Miner tonight in game number one. You can see that game on Valley Sports. will come your way at 6.30 with the pregame show. Tomorrow, 5.30, pregame show, John Lester, Brad Keller, Jay Happ, Chris Bubich. That'll be on Sunday, pair of lefties, so... Um, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend to see Jack Flaherty come back, get more clarification probably on Miles Michaelis and see how this plays out. This is a series that uh, St. Louis should, the bats should wake up a little bit because Mike Miner is not a great pitcher. He's been fine for the Royals. Brad Keller's had a very disappointing season yeah. for them. Bubich is a power arm who's been very erratic. There are moments where he looks awesome and there are a lot of moments where he looks like he probably needs more time down in AAA. So the Cardinals offense should be able to wake up this weekend. And if they do, 
they should be able to sweep this series. The Royals are just not a very good baseball team this season. Um, so it, that's that's what's in front of them. And they got they have to win at least two out of three in this series. Now. All right, guys, have a great weekend. You've got uh, three more hours. I got my four hours in the books. You got three more hours coming up. What do you got coming up? We've got Michael Gennetti of Spot Rack coming up at 1130. I want to ask him about this upcoming shortstop class, Dan. He's, a, he's one of the guys that really dives into the contracts, the numbers on what players should get in the offseason. What is he projecting for these shortstops? How much can they actually expect? He'll join us coming up at 1130. Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders at 1215. And Ed Wade, the former Phillies GM. When do you know it's the right time to go big on a free agent? We'll ask Ed Wade about that coming up at 115. Braves play Philly and New York the last week at home, by the way. thinking I was just looking at their schedule. Uh, last games against them. So that could be fun down the stretch, too, where that Final week could decide the division. Mm-hmm. Who knows? You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.